Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Podcast, brought to you in part by The Grind, with your host, Maddie Matt, as well as... Todd Fox. And... Big Renee. And we're here once again, giving you another episode. Before we get started, we want to let you guys know that we are not professionals, okay? Yes, we are not. We are not professionals <laughs> at this. Not. So, uh, bear with us, and some things might not be accurate, but hey, we're doing what we do best, and that's podcasting, and we enjoy what we do. But if you guys want to hear our last two episodes that we've done, listen to, uh, listen to us on Spotify or uh, Podbeam. Look us up under The Grinds, and you will find the first two episodes we've done. They were good ones. Uh, so check us out. Now, for this episode, we got a two-parter. And I've been dying. I've been dying to hear what this one's about because my guy here, Todd, really brings the story to life. And oh, yeah. last week and the week before... It really struck my nerves, and he said to me last week, he said, you know what, this one's going to be better as far as reaction, because everything from my reaction and Renee's, it's, it's fresh. We know nothing about these stories. Only Todd does, yep. and he's going to tell us to us. So, Todd, why don't you tell us our first story? <clears throat> All right, the first one is the Everett family. The Everett family, we're going to start, we're going to go on the Wayback Machine Okay. Time machine, 1935 to be exact, in the very heart of the Depression era. Dang. They're in Maine at this time. <clears throat> the father and mother have uh, six kids, three three boys, and three daughters. And where I should have stopped earlier <laughs> when we did when I was pra- practicing on this, I'm gonna go from here. Basically, one of the sons later on would gr- grow up and have have a, a daughter of okay. his own. Right. Okay. Now this was 30 years later. Okay. So this is in the mid 60s or whatever. She ran out one night and said she was going to be somewhere where she wasn't supposed to be. We all do that. Yeah, <laughs> and but told her dad one thing and did the other. <clears throat> the that's, dad, the gra- that's the granddaughter, right? Yeah, the granddaughter. Okay. So, so, so basically, the, the dad went out to try to find his daughter, which which is Pamela Everett. And when he found her, um, she doesn't specify exactly where she was at, but it wasn't wasn't where she was supposed to be. He got mad and told her something very cryptic. He told her, he goes, my God, you scared the crap out of me. I did not want to dream of the day where I had to search for someone else, one of my loved ones, and find them where we found them. And she was like, what are you talking about? And mm. he's like, I'm not going to do this with my own daughter. And he started to yell at her. And he and he goes, I'm not going to lose you like I lost my sisters. Oh, you got my attention. So that's, that, wow. that's what happened in the 60s. Now, this is a family secret. That they kind of just kept hush hush. So what happened was, she tried pressing him over the years. You know, five to ten years later. Problem is, her father died ten years later of a heart attack. Dang. So she never really got into what happened. What, what he was talking about. But she yeah. wound up writing a book, and this is where the information comes from, <clears throat> because she did her research okay. and she found out that her, she had, because she only thought that she had one aunt up until that day. She didn't even know she had two other aunts. Dang. And her aunts were the famous 1937 case called the Babes of Inglewood. They were <clears throat> they were uh, a family, first of all, going back in time again, okay. now back to the 30s. They were in Boston, Maine, a family over there, tired of the cold, tired of the depression times. The father wanted a new job. He, the mother came out here first because okay. they had a family member out in Los Angeles. Okay. She set up roots, got a nice job. He came out and got a, brought the rest of the kids, which was six at the time. 
out to Los Angeles, which is a suburb, which is Sentinella, Inglewood area, Sentinella Park. I know exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's down by your hood area, uh, right? Yeah, you know it. <laughs> so it's a nice freaking area at the time. Okay. And they have a big park and everything. Uh, he got a job with aerospace, like an airliner place, and he wound up being able to afford a house right next to the freaking park. Nice. So the kids started playing there almost every day. And at that time in the 30s, you had people coming in from all over the freaking country, moving west because of the depression from the Midwest and things like that. You had some unsavory people coming in. So basically, there was a problem in the Los Angeles area of, of kid, you know, adult on kid crimes. But yet still there was a moniker out there where you wouldn't dare do this with your own kids today. But back then, you'd let your 7-year-old, your 9-year-old, your 10-year-old oh, play yeah. in the park oh, unattended. Yeah. yeah. Not now, obviously. Obviously, you can't do not that now. But back then, well, the kids yeah. would go till what? It was the street lights went on, mm-hmm. and you had to go mm-hmm. home. Yep. And back then, you had park assistants that would kind of overlook the park and then tell the kids, "Hey, it's time to go home." Type yeah. deal, you know. Yeah. Even if they they straggled along or whatever, right? Basically, there was two daughters of the family. Like I said, there was three girls. She wound up writing a book about, and she called it "Little Shoes." Keep that in mind, "Little Shoes." Ah, uh, I got an idea. So basically, it was uh, on the day of, let's see, where I wrote down the date here. Uh, on the day, oh, I almost got it here. Yeah. On the day of June 27, 1937, okay. the kids went out. They'd been playing. School had been out for over two weeks now. All the time. kids at yeah, the all time. Yeah, all the kids were, okay. at, were outside, either at the park, playing with their friends. They were the t- the two kids were very known in the in the in the neighborhood. The two for, daughters. Yeah, two daughters. Okay. They also had a friend that was with them, and uh, she was she was out playing with them. First of all, the kids' names were Melba Everett and Madeline Everett, and their friend Jeanette Stevens. Uh, Melba was uh, nine years old, Madeline was seven years old, and Jeanette was eight years old. So family friend that was just in the area, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So they went out playing one day. Nothing, nothing was different. Beautiful day in Los Angeles. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, as the day wore on, they had a favorite radio show. Because keep in mind, back in the 30s, there was no TV. Yeah. You know, there was just radio shows. You would listen to a radio show. So their favorite radio show came on, and they didn't return home. No one saw them. The parents started freaking out because they're like, this is not like them. And then they contacted the neighbor, and the neighbor hadn't seen Jeanette either. So they're freaking out. They go down to the, the park. They send the other kids to look. For whatever reason, the parents send the other the kids other kid to, go to look, look for them. the other ones. Unattended. Unattended. Yeah, while they're doing the same type of thing. That's and dumb. They, Not very smart. They no. went to the local police station, right? Yeah. To file a complaint, the police said, hey, you know, you got to wait 24 hours. And the, Which I still think is dumb, but okay. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But then the father was like, look, these kids are little. They're not... 12 13 years old they're seven and nine and an eight-year-old like and they're all girls that caught the attention of one of the detectives he then you know asked the police chief of that police station hey can we do something and the police chief had kids of his own and what was very uh different at the time which where they would put out an amber alert now back then the cops would stick to their guns and be like no we're not going to look for 24 hours this cop had an idea like, well, this is three kids missing and it's unlike them. It's been a few hours. And he actually called in police stations back then. Remember, there's no computers. There's no nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. 
the heat organized the search and sent all available units to the area. And they all went searching. And that area was all hilly and everything. They brought horses in. They searched all night into the next day. The police even decided to bring in Boy Scouts. Wow. Boy Scouts? Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts. From the ages of 13 to 16. They brought them in. And a few 11-year-olds, too. The most ironic thing about this. Dang. The second day of the search, you know, they're, they're, they're getting clues. Oh, so two days yeah, Two days passed. Okay. They're getting tips, but and they're saying, you know, a bunch of people are coming forward saying, we saw them. And then there was, we saw them with this guy. And this guy had, uh, was, was uh, playing tricks, like doing tricks under the, their favorite tree by the, by the play area. And he was showing off for the kids. Like he was able to unjoint his wrists like turn them backwards and do all these like weird tricks. Double jointed. Then they talk to one of the park uh, employees and he goes, I remember these little girls coming over asking for some rope because the man knew rope tricks. Now you see that if that happens today, yes. And someone comes to you and says, exactly right. You're like, no, 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 wait a minute. He wants a what? He wants to show you a rope trick. You're a kid. Red flags galore, right? Uh, Automatically. Park, Park attendant thought nothing of it. It was a different time. Yeah, it's the 30s. Yeah, it's the 30s. So the more and more people start thinking about it, the more and more there's like, we saw them leave with this guy. And they brought up a general description. There was, you know, they kind of like wrote it out. He was a tall, skinny man with like a, you know, trying to grow a mustache, maybe mid-20s, you know, something like that. So now it's freaking out the cops even more. So into the second day, after all these tips are pouring in, and they're trying to do their very best, these Boy Scouts are on top of this ravine, and they're looking around. There's about five of them. And one of the kids says, hey, you know what? Down there below where those trees are and those rocks, that'd be a cool hiding spot. Because remember, these are 30s Boy Scouts. They're not thinking of anything. So they're like, hey, you know what? I know we're supposed to be looking for those girls, but let's go down there and see what's down there. That looks cool. Yeah, yeah. So they went sliding down the ravine. It was a good, like, maybe 50 to 60 feet down. Dang. As soon as they got down to the bottom, they they found little shoes tied neatly together. And at the base of those shoes was a body of one of the girls. And then just 10 feet away was the other two girls. Dang. Wow. Left out and posed in various positions. So right away... Those Boy Scouts were super smart. Super smart for their age. They look where nobody else would look. Yeah. Well, that that's number one. Number two, two of them climbed back up to the top of the ravine and stayed there. The other three ran as fast as they could to find the nearest cop. They didn't touch anything. Yeah. They didn't move nothing. They, Those smart Boy Scouts. Very smart. Didn't mess up the evidence. Yeah. The cops came in, and actually at this time, again, there's no DNA at the time. Yeah. And they don't know to pick up certain things. They found, basically, the kids were sexually mutilated. Get the heck out of here. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one. Um, they were all sexually abused, and they were all strangled to top it off. Get the heck out of here. So all three of them were laying there, and the cops were just furious at this time. Because then they were like, man, we have a murder on, the, on our hands. This is something something crazy, man. So the police, the police were going through, basically the police chief that originally went after this case decided, hey, you know what? We're going to 
uh, we're going to coordinate with all the departments, all the different counties, because none of them work together like this. This was unprecedented at the, for the time. And he went and said, give me every one of your sexual deviants, rapists. I want all their information, their files. We're going through them. We're going to, you know, we're going to um, bring in all these people. We're going to interview them and we're going to, we're going to put them in a lineup and we're going to see that the witnesses can try to identify them. He yeah. did stuff that back then, you know, just, they didn't do. Yeah. But, yeah, he was ahead of his time, and he brought and he he tried everything, and every time they thought they were getting close, someone had an alibi or, or someone you know it just didn't it fit, just cold. or no one no one could identify the person. They had two major suspects, two major suspects. Well, one right away, they they kind of zeroed in on as oh. they were zeroing in on him. What, what gave them what gave him away? Because of his past, of uh, rapes. Uh-huh. And uh, messing with little kids, uh-huh. and the fact that he was in town, and he had a record prior, and he his sister lived within blocks of the park, mm. and so he came from Utah, okay. But his sister lived, you know, just a couple blocks away from the park. As they were zeroing in on him, here's the problem with the case: we have a crossing guard. We have a crossing guard by the name of let me get his name here. Uh, Albert Dyer with an IQ of 60 which is a nine year old came up to uh, came up to the police and said you know was just milling around a few days after the case after they found the bodies asking a lot of questions talking to a lot of people and just inserting himself almost like into the case to where he went up to a cop and said, okay, you've got me. And they're like, what? What? And they're like, I, he's like, I did it. I killed those kids. And the cops were like, holy crap. So then they arrest him. Mm-hmm. And back then, you could do a lot with a person. You didn't have Miranda rights, which is, you know, I got to, you know, you, if you lawyer up right now, you're good. You can lawyer up all you want back then. They could beat the crap out of you if yeah. they wanted to. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? They can, they can sleep deprive you. Yeah. You know? So... They interrogated this guy who, again, he's a crossing guard. So a lot of the kids saw him every day. You know, he worked for the school district. They were thinking, okay, he's got, you know, maybe he has it in for these kids because he's like a pedophile. You know, he sees them every day and he couldn't resist. And then when they asked him certain questions, he would confess and give a story that was somewhat close, but it didn't match. Then he'd recant. And then he would confess again and then recant. And it would just keep going. So fast forward a couple, you know, couple weeks and the trial comes up. You know, they put him on trial. They're like, you know what? This dude's guilty. Yeah. The lawyers, as the trial is getting prepared, are, are, you know, they've interviewed him. And he has two public defenders. And his family, his wife and his family are are like, it can't be him. It's not him. You know, he he has a mental problem. Yeah. They kept telling telling him that what about that other guy that you guys were investigating they had a private investigator that the family hired to go look after the other gentleman which the one is one that you said which his name was Fred Gotzi Fred Gotzi Fred Gotzi interesting enough he would um, he was um, what was he called here uh, he had a nickname and um, he was actually it was, the funny thing is had the cops did their job and not just zeroed in on our poor dire guy, 
they would have found out what the pri private investigators found out, which was the fact that the guy who they should have went after from Utah had well, had a name, uh, a nickname called Freddy the Sailor. The kids knew him by Freddy the Sailor because he would do tricks, uh. rope tricks. Uh. And he was like he was very uh, he had a, like a carnival background, so he was able to undo and his joints and sort of just goof off, and he liked performing for kids. And get and they found out that you know the cops didn't really know about his previous history of the molestations, the rapes. So the cops again, wow. they have their man, supposedly. Yeah. The private investigators are trying to have the lawyers stall as much as they can the lawyers are trying to stall too but the problem is their boy isn't cooperating the crossing guard he continues to confess and they're telling him just look they don't have anything except your confessions just plead insanity and or or just say you know not, i'm not guilty not composite yeah but it, but it wasn't registering in his head it wasn't it, registering because the other problem with dyer who was a crossing guard is he grew up in a family that really didn't pay much attention to him because they knew he was mentally ill. So the attention he was getting from the press, all the if you go look up this page, yeah, if you look up this case, he's smiling in the pictures. He's doing weird things in the pictures because he loves the, the attention. attention. Yeah, he doesn't get it from he, his family. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this, all this new, he's enjoying himself. Yeah, he's locked up and everything, but he's enjoying himself. So if you look up these pictures, he looks scary. He's doing weird things, having outbursts and just laughing when they're reading the, the things of what happened to the girls, showing the pictures, because he doesn't get it. And the lawyers fought really hard. For being public defenders, they fought really hard for him. But when it went to trial, the cops did not want to pursue Gotzi. The private investigators tried to find Gotzi. He'd split town. Dang. So they he couldn't knew. find him. Yeah, he knew. They thought that he went back to Utah. They even followed. They even went to Utah searching for him, with two teams of detectives, private detectives, trying yeah. to find him, because they knew if they got Gotzi, chances are they got him, right? Well, here's where it ha where it goes for a turn for the worse, man. So Dyer gets convicted and sentenced to death. Get the heck. And out back of then, in the before the fifties. You didn't have a much, uh, shelf life as far as... If you were sentenced to death, your days were numbered. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, already. So he went to San Quentin. And in San Quentin prison, when asked about... He would ask the... the, the um, how, how, how there he was in the head. Here's, here, let me give you an example. He would ask the guards, so when do I go on parole? You're on death row, dude. You're dying. You're going to be put to death. He didn't... It didn't register. And he kept, he was like, wow. when, when, when do I get out of here? When do I see my mom? When do I see my wife? He just didn't, it didn't register. Wow. So he was already convicted to death. He tried fighting at the very end. But just a year later after those kids were found, he was hung in San Quentin prison. Most likely an innocent man. Yep. Died. Now, moving on. This woman who wrote the book about her aunt. Was the the one of the prisoners hung him, or he hung himself? No, they they hung him. They, they, hung they him? executed. Oh, they executed. They oh, executed. Okay. Yeah. So moving on, Pamela did all this, you know, this this uh, uh, what do you call it? Stuff for her book research, and she also was a part of the Innocence Project because of it. 
trying to help other prisoners that have been put to put to jail or sentenced to death and find out and give them ways to to fight their cases or or to find the truth so if they're truly innocent they you know she helps prisoners because of what happened to that dude and she wasn't even related didn't even know about it but she took she's now one of the prominent people in america for the innocence project helping out prisoners worldwide or at least you know statewide yeah, yeah. So that's the good that came out of it. The bad, this guy went on to offend more. Gotsy. Wow. Yeah, he wound up being in the western uh, part of the United States in Colorado, back in Utah. He only lived 10 more years. He died of natural causes, uh, or I, th- I think he had heart failure too. But he passed away 10 years after the, the murders, but not before he con- was com- um, convicted on several other cases of uh, attempted rape. Uh, with bodily harm, um, he kidnapped somebody and he robbed a few others. So, yeah. the dude was bad and likely dude was bad. Yeah, he was likely the one behind it. And they would have, ne- and they never will know. They'll never know. They'll never. If you look on the books, if you look up the history, the problem is with this case too. What really bothered me, it's a 1937 case. Anything before 53, I believe, you can find crime scene photos so you can literally see the girls on the gurney at the morgue or you could see the actual pictures from the crime scene from when it happened wow and yeah, then, yeah. all you have to do is look up babes of inglewood and then images or or just type in like you know and it's there yeah. and then when i and because i just put in babes of inglewood when i was researching and then but then it, it gives you an option for corners for the death the you know everything Shows the parents when they first found out, because the media was like everything, when they first found out that their kids were uh, uh, passed away, they took a picture of her in the LA Times of the wife passing out in her husband's arms. They were there with her when the the news was dropped. Wow. So uh, there's all that stuff there. There's that pic- sucks, dude. It was and, more graphic back then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like the Black Dahlia murders? Yeah. Murder? Yeah, that was more graphic. You actually see the picture of, like, how they left her. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's bad. That's that that case up. is crazy. That's jacked up, man. Yeah. And more likely, you know, we don't know, but more, chances are that crossing guard was innocent. That's it's, what she seems to think. Just, it was just probably just wanted the attention. I think that was what it, because I think back at back in those days, um, they tried to exonerate his name years later, but in the record books, he's the one that did it. He's the one that did it. But I think there's more than enough people that know now that it wasn't him it just wasn't it didn't him. add up mm-hmm. it didn't that add sucks, up dude. yeah i mean it sucks for the, the girls as well i mean the whole it, it just sucks that justice wasn't truly served and yeah the, and the guy who i believe and most people believe did it got away with it yeah i mean yeah. everything added up so when people said you know hey they asked for the rope you know, I mean, just the, all the stuff that they were talking about, seeing a man showing off and no one. And there was years later where people actually were showing pictures of Godsey and were pointing the finger at him. Like, no, that was the guy that did it when they when they went back. To, and then they were actually trying to find out like they, they were like, did you see this guy, which was the guy who was commit uh, convicted dire. And a lot of them were like, no, nah, it kind of looks like him, but not really. The yeah. two kind of did look alike, too. Look similar. So when they were making those generalizations about, okay, how tall was he? Did he have a mustache? How was his hair? The mustache and the hair were almost dead on. Yeah. So I think that's where the similarities and the cops just ran with it. You know what I mean? 
And so when you didn't have fingerprints and you have a guy, it's like just begging you to accept his confession. They took it. That one sucks. It does. That one sucks. That one really sucks. Yeah. Well, you want to hear a second story? You think this one's going to be worse? This one's probably going to piss you off. Ah. <laughs> Will it be enough to make Maddie stro- uh, shiver? It might. It might. Uh, all right. Was there any other questions you had about this case before we move on? Because you guys are kind of quiet in this. The one. only the only question I had was, um, you know, the reaction. Well, you you, you pretty much answered it. The reaction the mother passed out in the the, yeah. the father's arm and stuff. But I I kind of wanted to know what the kids, the son's reaction was because you know. I'll, 30 years later when his daughter was missing he he felt you know very yeah. angry I, I, I just wanted to know I, it didn't say but I just wished I wanted to know what his reaction was at the time well, well he was he was uh, 12 years old he was 12 and looking for his his uh, sisters at the time was pretty traumatic on him so when his daughter went out disobediently and he couldn't find her didn't know where she was he honestly freaked out because he was thinking Flash oh back. no not again yeah, he lost Flash it back. yeah he did lose it so and um she like in her book she writes that several times she tried asking him about it and he, and he was just shut down about it. he did not want to talk about but it that's something you probably wouldn't want it, to talk about yeah, yeah you probably just want to he's like, shut it's, that in out. The, it's like it's something you don't want to remember yeah yeah because she grew up thinking okay i have two uncles and an aunt no she really had three aunts and two uncles and none none of her her aunts uh, or her aunt the surviving one and the two other brothers didn't want to talk about it either and the only other thing I didn't share with you guys either was was the surviving aunt. She was actually going to go with them, and and she was around that same age. Seriously? But she yeah, but she decided not to. She stayed at home with her mom or, or or something. She did something other than go to the park like they did. She would have been right with them as well. She could have had the same fate. Could have had the same Dang. fate. So they were lured away. Those three kids were lured away by that man who was primarily Gotzi, who was the you know, that rope guy, the rope trick, the trickster. And you say wow. he, he, he went and did other things, too, afterwards, huh? He did stuff prior and after. Bastard. Yeah. He got, he got away with everything. He got away with most of it. He sure did. He sure did. Dang. Well, that's it for that case. <laughs> now we're going to move on to 1986. Oh, we're fast forwarding. Dang. We're fast forwarding, yeah. I almost was in existence. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Two more years later. And this we're going to go back to the East Coast. This is in New York. This is Jill Russell, the story of Jill Russell, who later became uh, known as Jill Cahill. Jill Cahill. J- Jill Cahill. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear it. <clears throat> so in 1957, she was born in New York. When she was 26, uh, in 1986, she was at a bar and met Jeff Cahill, who was a prominent stockbroker in the New York Stock Exchange. They things went fast and furious. She got pregnant a year into the relationship. Oh, they, dang. They decided yes. to get married. So as they got married, things were a little dicey, but, you know, moving newlyweds and with a child and everything. They moved into a nice home. They had a second child. Okay. For whatever reason, he started to just lose interest in the marriage, The Jeff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jeff began to... <laughs> the phone went off. Uh-oh. <laughs> so Jeff, Jeff began. That. No, you're good. You're good. We're not professionals. That's right. <laughs> Renee's like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, um, 
they they're in a they're in a relationship that's having problems. Rocky he goes into depression. He doesn't want to work. They wind up losing their big house. Dang. They wind up losing the stuff that they you know. So they moved into an area in Syracuse, which is east of New York. Okay. And she wound up saving them because she wound up partnering with a friend on a on a doesn't state what what um, job she had on a company but they started up a company and it took off and so while he's at home drinking beers just upset with himself and depressed with himself he takes it out on her when she's bringing home the bacon Were you abusive no well yes but verbally first gotcha at first he just starts like ragging on her it's like dude she's bringing home the bacon you know like get your butt to work you know do something no he cops out and just is you know just tearing her down every chance he gets yeah so as time, and they got two kids. They got two kids, okay. and they're they're at this time moving forward. Uh, we're gonna move to about ninety six when so they get to their yeah. So so ten yeah. years old, about that ten and eight, something like that. Yeah, they get into their first physical altercation. He slaps her around a little bit, beats her up. She scratches him. Cops are called. He goes to jail a little bit. He comes out. <clears throat> They want to get a divorce, but then they, they, they feel they shouldn't do it for the kids. You know, let's stick around. Yeah. She would live to regret that. She would try to keep the family going. Things weren't really working out. More altercations took place. Okay. He really didn't really go back to a good paying job. She was floating the family with her company, and it was still successful. <clears throat> Fast forward to 1998. 12 years later. Yeah, 12 years later. Now, here's the interesting thing. In that same year, in Halloween, they got an idea to go to a costume... Uh, they, they had an idea to go to a costume party. And at the costume party, they were um, just, looking... Just him and the wife? Yeah, him and the wife. It was okay. a Halloween party. And basically, uh, they wanted to get outfits. His idea was, I'm going to dress up as OJ, and you're going to be Nicole Brown Simpson. Get the heck out of here. Are you serious? Yeah. That's no. Yeah, that's what ethnicity were they? Oh, uh, they're white. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have went over good even in '98. No, uh, it wouldn't yeah. Have. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that didn't go good. Yeah. Unless they had some MAGA friends, I don't know. <laughs> <they went> over <laughs> good. Did he have blackface? You know what? <laughs> they never went through with it no. because the wife actually decided, hey, this is not a good idea. I don't blame her. <laughs> and uh, that would just give him an excuse to carry a knife. Um, so anyway, fast forward a couple months later, the police get a call at around midnight and so they get a call <laughs> around midnight. There was my phone. Um, so they get a call around midnight and everything is working out and <clears throat> yeah. So 12 o'clock he called, uh, the police department, which is the, the husband and the police sent out, uh, obviously, paramedics and everything. So there was an accident. And they get out there. And the first cops that get on the scene are uh, are kind of befuddled because they see five people. They see the two kids, the husband, actually six people, two kids, the husband, uh, his parents, and the family doctor. So Now, this was the party? This was at their house. This, this is, was at their this house. Was a yeah, yeah. couple this months is, later. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the cops are, you know, go in there and they find a woman and her, 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 which is Cahill, his, his wife, his wife's on the, on the floor. Uh, her hair's matted with so much blood. 
Whoa. Blood just everywhere. And it's been a while. Yeah. And and so so there's blood everywhere. They call the paramedics. Is she still alive at the point? She's still alive. Okay. Wow. So, they're, so they, they rush her out of there. They take him to the hospital. He's got cuts on him. And, you know, he needs stitches. So the parents don't say nothing. The kids don't say anything. The family doctor that was there didn't say anything. Come to find out what happens is in interrogation at first, he, he says it's a it's a back and forth thing, you know, where they, they just got into a tussle and things got out of hand. Yeah. Right away, the cops know it's not fitting the crime scene. Mm-hmm. They find a bloody, uh, really bloody aluminum bat. Dang. Yeah. So, and then as they're stitching him up at the hospital and they're interviewing him and everything, he's like, okay, here's what happened. She came at me with a knife. I had to defend myself, and I just went too far with it. They were like, no, sir, that does not match. Not buying it. No. I, I'm not a cop, and I, I'm not buying it. And when they interviewed the kids, the kids said they heard the parents um, arguing, and then the mom screaming to them, call the police, daddy's killing me. So, basically, they, they found out, too, that she'd been there a while. Why? Because after he beat her... Now that we know, with an aluminum bat, caved in the side of her head, her, her skull. Dang. <clears throat> uh, co- you know, bashed her so many times. There was blood everywhere. The cops, well, it was a miracle. They, they thought that she, she wasn't going to make it, but she, she wanted to make it, right? So what happened was, after finding out all this stuff, they found out that once he beat her to within an inch of her life, uh-huh. he said, that's it. I've got to kill myself. He went to the garage turned on his car, put a hose in the, the window from the exhaust, and tried to carbon monoxide himself to yeah, death, yeah. you know, by, by fumes. The, but then he chickened out as a chicken he is. Couldn't kill himself. So he decided not to. He went back in the house with the kid still in there with her mom, all bloody mess, right? He waited a couple hours before calling the family doctor, which the family doctor had no idea was a bloody mess. He called his parents. His parents came over. The doctor's like, dude, you need to call the freaking paramedics. Yeah. That's the only reason why he called the c- cops or the paramedics in the first place. So that's like two or three hours, maybe a little more of her laying Dang. in her own pool of blood within an inch of her life and her struggling now to make... Now let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. They're 12 years old and 10 by now, the kids. Yeah, well, no, they're 10 and 8 at this time. Oh, okay, yeah, nine, 10 and 8. Mm-hmm. I think that's old enough for you to call 911. True. Yeah. You know, do you think he, you think he may have told the kids don't do anything? As far as we know, we don't know. Okay. That's the whole point. Like we don't know. I mean, yeah, that's one of the first thing I thought was why didn't the kids go to the next door? Yeah. Why didn't they call the cops? Because uh, I'm quite sure they saw it happening. They you heard know, it. They, they heard seen it and it. saw it. You know that. I would have, you know, tried to have done something. I mean, I'm not blaming the kids. No, I no, no. I know. Kid, but, no. You know. It's kind of hard because we probably all react. They probably did. Good men, yeah. They froze and they didn't know what to do. Yeah. That part hasn't been revealed. I'm pretty sure there's an answer for that, but we don't know that part since they're kids. Um, So you would think, okay, open and shut case, Johnson, this one's over. Kids and the guys, he's in jail. You know, it's over with. Easily. No, this this has another layer. It's like an onion. So (laughs) Shrek reference there. Uh, (laughs) So basically Another what happened... layer meaning something else? Yes. Like yes. further? Yes. A lot, a lot further. Stop. A lot further. It goes lot deeper, further. man. It goes a lot deeper. That's what she said. Beats <laughs> 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 um, So anyway, what happens is 
he actually has Bell set. His parents bail him out. Now, he didn't murder her. It was attempted murder. And I think they actually knocked it down a notch to where he could get bailed out for a hundred grand. His parents were good for it, and they what? bailed him out. Yes, they bailed him out. He had a court date set for uh, six six months after the case. Well, before you get started, mm-hmm. what kind of parents he got, man? Because I'm telling you right now, if I did some crime and my mom's you were doing the time. Oh man, yeah, my mom. They're leaving me in there. I'm, oh yeah, I'm not seeing the light no, of day. My, no, my parents. They'll probably, yeah. probably leave me in there. Come on, man. First off, my dad would be like, no, no, I love you, but you're disowned. No. Yeah, because yeah. they were there, right? They yeah. saw it. They, they saw, saw what her. happened. They saw Come the damage. Now. You're going to ride the big long train. Exactly. <laughs> to okay. Prisonville. Okay. All right. I'm interested. Let's, let's so, Okay. So what happens is he's bailed out. He has a preliminary hearing, which, which basically states, okay, you're still on bond. But you need to report and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and your your case will be seen in six months. Let me guess, he fled. No, I wish he would have fled. Let's just put it to you that way. Okay. I think the world would have been a better place had he fled. He stuck around, and this entire time, his wife, who had been savagely beaten, don't tell and, me, and given hardly any chance to live, don't tell me, was with her kids rehabbing. And she would have to spend months in the hospital trying to recover, trying to learn how to speak, move her hands, and with an opportunity maybe in a year or so with plenty of, uh, what's it called, rehabilitation, have a chance to walk again. She was slurred. Oh, so he beat him. She beat him. He beat him. Yeah. Beat her There was There was brain damage. Because remember, he caved in half uh, uh, a part of her skull. So with those, a bat. Yeah, so they'll probably so everything like, starting all over again. They probably like was like probably like skull shrapnel in there. Oh yeah, brain. well he 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 caved in her skull so, on one side. Dang. So they had to reconstruct everything, and then she, you know obviously all the brain surgeries, you know all the rehab, you know touch and go. Her kids were there. Her family was supporting her. She was making all indications. She was making a turn for the for the better, uh-huh. and that had someday she would be not completely fully functional, but. At least a good uh, sixty to seventy yeah, percent yeah. of what she used yeah. to be, and yeah, there probably be memory loss and all this other stuff that would come mm-hmm. along with it. But hey, she's alive. She's yeah. the mom. She could take care of her kids. The problem is, like I said, I wish homeboy would have fled. Don't tell me. He devised a plan to get at her. Now, now think about it. Think, he wasn't done yet. Wasn't done yet. Jeez. And to think think about this too. Now, attempted murder is far less than. Than the murder itself. Yeah, you can maybe get away with fifteen years, good behavior. Cut it in half, even yeah. seven and a half, eight years, and you might be even go lower than that, depending on how bad the 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 system is, the overcrowding in the prisons, and if you're on good behavior. Yeah. Well, he didn't take that in consideration. His hatred for his wife took over. He wound up getting himself a janitor's outfit online. He then proceeded to uh, to make an order with a letterhead on his computer, uh, belonging, making his name, and he got basically he made a false document and a logo of a chemical company, and he ordered online cyanide. Now, granted, he had it. He this guy he had a plan. He he hung out basically in front of that plant which he used their address, which he had no affiliation to. 
This is the rehab plant. No, no, no. This is this is, this is the the husband. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He went to this company that made chemicals, right? Okay. All right. A separate company from the hospital. Got it. And ordered the cyanide, saying it was for something that that company would use cyanide for, because the normal me and you can't order cyanide. Yeah. So he needed to make a letterhead. I should have explained that. My bad. Um, he made a letterhead saying that he was a supervisor from the company. He was ordering the product for the company. Blah 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 blah. He hung out there and camped in front of the freaking company till he saw the UPS truck come with a cyanide. Before they were able to walk into the company, he intercepted the UPS driver and said, "Hey, oh, I'm so and so from the letter. Here's the proof. Here's my ID." Um, I, I I ordered this, and the UPS guy probably should have thought twice, but he's like, "Oh, it seems legit. Your name's Cahill. This is Cahill. This is the letter, the documentation. Here, sign the paperwork. Boom, he got the bottle of cyanide." Now, on that point, do you fault the UPS person? No, not necessarily, because everything lined up. Like everything, he had his ID, yeah. he had it. So I, I'm not mad at him on that. Mm-hmm. One. I probably would have done the same thing. It's just genius by him. For waiting it out, because he probably had to hang out there for a couple days. Yeah. And, and no one knows when the UPS driver is going to be there exactly, because yeah. mm-hmm. that's before the tracking info. Because remember, this is this is pre-2000, so the internet's pretty flaky at the time. Yeah. But even then, they have their standards. Gotcha. Long story short, he makes uh, the very next day. And this is this is almost coming up on six months to the day of the beating, and his trial is literally around the corner within days. And so he's like, I got to do this. I got to do this now. He dresses up like a janitor, has a wig, and walks in. The problem I have is in this hospital that he walked into where his wife was, the nurses and staff in the, in the area saw that he wasn't wearing the same color outfit that the janitors wear. Red flag number one. Yep. Red flag number two. He had, a, he had an obvious wig on. The guy was balding at this point, so he had a, like a shaggy wig on. And basically, again, red flag number two. They noted it, but right then and there, they didn't call security. They waited. And it wasn't until they asked another janitor a question about it, did they get alarmed. But then it was too late. Why? Because he made his way to the room of his wife and forced the cyanide down her throat. Oh, dang. And so when the alarms on the machine started going haywire because she's not breathing anymore, he made his get getaway out of the hospital. However, you know, as he was leaving outside, he took off his wig a little too early. He was caught on camera. But by then, by the time the nurses got to her, they tried everything to save her. She was gone within the hour. Dang. Wow. They wound up tracking him down. They got him. They arrested him. He went to trial. Come on. And he was given the death sentence. So he's on death row. But look what happened. Because the, the system failed her being the victim. And they should have at least had a guard on duty. Something. Yeah, absolutely. Something. And because he's on a bell. You know, so like he wanted to finish the job. I mean, he want, his whole thing was to kill her in the first place. Yeah. He, he, he what did he do, it the do first to time? him for him to be so malicious like that? That we don't know. The... I looked into that too to try to find out what, you know, besides the arguments and the fighting, there really was no, and maybe his jealousy of her because of her successful company, but still, from all indications, she was a good wife and he was a good father to the kids. He never raised a hand to the kids, but they had some really bad issues between both of them and he had to finish her off for whatever reason. Come on, man. 
That's a coward, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, come on, man. You beat her almost half to death, and and you weren't satisfied. He beat like, her like literally ninety five percent. I mean, she was like on. You know when you play those video games and your energy bar and you're oh, like you like barely. Blinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, she was blinking, man. She, she was like one step from death's door, dude. But here's my thing. Like you said, have a guard on duty or or have the doors locked. Yeah. Or have you know just have it locked and only have a nurse. Have a nurse, nurse there. there. That can open Something. It. I mean, you would think one would think if if okay. You know, he has ill will towards his wife. He almost killed her. He's out on parole. Yeah. Why haven't they stepped up their game and tried to protect her? And I think that's where the police, that's where security, that's where the system failed her. Absolutely. And now the kids who thought they lost their mom, but were there to help rehab her, give her... I mean, she was working for those kids to come back and to be somewhat of a mother figure to them again. And And she tried so hard. And to die like that. And to die like that. Coward, dude. I wonder how his parents felt bailing him out. I know. Probably they have the probably the biggest burden of it now. I know he doesn't care. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But but think about it. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, his parents must feel disgusted. Like why do we bail? Why yeah. do we? The only good thing is her parents took over the kids. His didn't. Oh, so, I, uh, thankfully. Yeah. I mean, because that would be wrong if they they, they would have got him. Because I would. I would have stabbed my own grandparents. I'd be like, you killed my mom. Yeah. You know, my, my dad's a psycho, you know? So there's no winners in that case at all. Neither the one before. I just thought I'd give you two cases that were like M. Night Shyamalan movies with twists at the end where you think it's going one way, but it goes the other. This story got me pissed, man. That's, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Because the way he did it, like, he wasn't satisfied, man. No, he had to he kill ha- her. It's like he had, like, there was nothing else. Yeah. I mean, he was stewing in prison. And this guy, when you see him, he just looks like a douchebag. He just looks like a douchebag. You're just like, really? And for him to get out on bail and just to offend, I mean, I mean, if anything, why not put him on house arrest? Yeah. Give him a freaking, uh, what's Give that called? Monitor, the monitor. The ankle monitor. Yeah. I mean, that's why if me and you and Renee can think about this and be like, hey, you know, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do this? We're not professionals. Yeah. We're, not, we're not police officers. How come they didn't do that? And it's not like it's in the 30s, like like your other story. Yeah, this yeah. is like the 90s. 90s, yeah. They, yeah. they probably DNA had them by then. started there. to come out by They then. had angle braces in the 80s. Yeah, yeah they should have done that. <laughs> Something. And unfortunately, they let this guy do whatever he wanted. And, I mean, the only thing I'll give him credit for is the cyanide. But I think as far as everything else, he was a major league you-know-what for not taking his own life. He should have just killed himself. Make the world a better place. Kill yourself or take take off, go away, flee, go on the run. At least, you know, the, she would still be alive today. Something yeah. in his head must have triggered and snapped for him to say, I got to finish this. Like, yeah, I have to. Like, no, you didn't. He went to extreme measures and he made things worse. Because now, now he's on death row. He's in New York. They will kill him. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It might take five or ten years, but they will kill him. He's probably dead by now, right? No, it's this, uh, like I said, 98. He's still on death row. You get a certain amount of appeals, which can extend your your time. But as far as I know, just like the case we did last week, his appeals are running really short, if not out already. So it's just a matter of time. Within the next couple of years, he's, he's, he's going to have an execution he's date. On bar- he's on borrowed time. He's on borrowed yeah. time. Exactly. Wow. Well, if the system don't kill him, I hope somebody, well, I don't wish death on anybody, but you know the rules in the prison. Yep. Goes you know around, it. comes around, man. You know it. Yeah. So, 
That's our yeah, two cases. Yeah, this one pissed me off. That, that one pissed me off more you, than the first one. Screw <laughs> 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 you, Todd. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I told you there'd be no, no happy stories in this one, man. Yeah, It's not you. like a Japanese parlor or a massage place where you get a happy ending. Yeah, no happy ending. No happy ending yeah. in this one. The first one really touched me, too, because of the kids, man. Young yeah. Age. And, yep. But this one was... That one. Yeah. Yeah, we did we did some traveling in this episode and time wise. We did time travel. Yeah. We, we time traveled to yeah. And next week, I'll just give you a little a little look. Uh, what little is it snippet. called? Tease, a little tease Ooh. on this one. This one's gonna be uh, not your. It's a serial killer, but not a serial killer that I would say ninety nine percent of the true crime fa- family have heard about. And this one this one came from a first forty eight episode, a two parter which was really good in their initial season, which was 18 years ago. And it's not what you think. And it happens very fast because, and, and there's just some craziness involved that I'm not going to get into. I'll save for next episode. Yeah. Dang. That, that, that'll throw you for a loop. And I'll just say the case, the only teaser I'm going to put on it is with some brilliant freaking detective work that got the job done. Brilliant. I'm intrigued. Yes, it's very good. Uh, and I know you're not gonna tell me anything. Huh? <laughs> nope, I gotta save it till next week, bro. Screw He's you. Like, He's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been another episode of the True Crime Podcast, brought to you in part by the Grinds. Got to give a shout out to our narrator, Mr. Todd. Thank you, sir. And uh, give a shout out to our other host, Big Renee. Nice to be here. And this is your boy, Maddie Matt. If you like what you hear, check us out on The Grinds on our website, www.thegrindspodcast.com. Look us up under The Grinds on Podbeam and Spotify or any other social media streams you may be listening to. So, once again, for Maddie Matt and Todd Fox and Big Renee, peace. <laughs>